it is certainly one of the first hires that most people will make will be someone into operations because most entrepreneurs almost by definition are not operations folks you need to preserve that passion be able to kindle it and not burn yourself out running operations welcome to the startup cpg podcast i'm your host jesse freitag I'm really excited to share with you all that this is the first episode of our new First Hire series, where we'll be talking about making first hires in marketing, finance, sales, and operations. And today's subject is hiring for operations. When is it time to make the leap to a full-time operations person? When should you use a consulting firm? How do you find the right fit for your company? Here to help us answer these questions is Jamie Valenti-Jordan. CEO of Catapult Commercialization Services. Catapult is a team of experienced food industry professionals focused on helping emerging and growing brands with their technical and operational development and scaling needs. Listen in as Jamie covers the difference between setting up your operations and running your operations, how to find the right operations person, navigating when to implement software solutions, how to manage an operations person or agency as a founder, and more. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the show today. How are you? Doing great. How about yourself, Jesse? Doing really well. So glad to have you here. And operations is one of my favorite topics. So it's such a treat to get to talk to a pro like yourself today. I've been really looking forward to this. I'd love if you could start us off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and about Catapult, and then we'll start digging into some questions. Absolutely. Um, I'm an engineer, um, chemical engineer that has been working uh, in the food industry for about 17 years now with uh, everyone from Fortune 500s all the way to the very, very early startups. Um, my, my background's in uh, commercialization, scaling products, uh, building plants even. I have a patent in tomato peeling, of all things. And now I spend, uh, you know, for the last I've spent for the last four years working with um, Catapult Commercialization Services, uh, a group that I founded to help others to uh, grow and scale their brands. Excellent, that's great. And a, a lot of listeners may also see that Jamie is very active in our Startup CPG Slack community, very giving of his time and giving advice, and so that's also something you've. You have a super wide breadth of experience, and then you're also always really willing to give back to our community and answer questions, which I really appreciate. Funny thing about that is almost every one of those experiences are uh, are, are um, insights that I can offer, all based off of things that have gone wrong in the past. Uh, a lot of <laughs> learnings that take place, as you know, uh, in mm -hmm. this industry is uh, by doing things wrong. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I appreciate that you're willing to share those those things with our group for sure. Um, and so our our topic today, you're you're our first episode in this new series talking about first hires and getting started in some of these different areas of a business. And so I would love if you could tell us a little bit about what it looks like to to really be the the first hire, be an early hire. Absolutely. I think it's helpful probably for the listeners to know kind of what the what the scope is of operations in general, just so that we know how broadly we're speaking and what we're what we're talking about. Do you think that would make sense? Yeah, that would be great. Okay, excellent. So operations, um, a lot of people define it a few different ways, but the way I'm going to talk about it today is uh, when your sales team gets a positive response and you get an order in all the way through to really where you get paid for that order that you deliver. Um, and it's a pretty broad um, set of uh, set of steps here. But really what we're talking about is uh, receiving that order, 
processing it to where you can then turn it into an order usually for your um, contract manufacturer, but really any manufacturing uh, setup that you have uh, all the way through to getting that inventory uh, into your warehouse and then delivering it against that order that was placed. Normally, you would um, have inventory already waiting to fill that order so that you don't have that huge long lag time. But there's also then the processing and the receiving of that money, uh, including in some cases, as, as those of us who have been in this industry for a length of time, um, you know, there's the, the chargebacks that you have to, uh, that you uh-huh. always have to mitigate from, from your distribution partner. So there's a lot of kind of uh, moving parts and all this. And that's how I, how I would like to define operations so, so that we know where our first hire is going to be and how that's going to be valuable. Yeah, that's great. Excellent. So um, looking at operations, especially as you're looking at first hire, there's always going to be this push and pull um, as you look at, um, you know, somebody to run the company and someone to grow the company. So uh, when you are setting up operations, it's a very different skill set than running operations. Setting up means that you know what some of the best practices are already. Um, So you are necessarily going to uh, put some of those in place so that it makes it easier for the person who's going to run operations. In most cases, people will use existing um, platforms or experts in the field to set things up, and then they can use, uh, they can train someone to run operations a lot more effectively. So that is usually where your first hire is going to sit. It's going to sit with someone who can um, process the incoming orders and more importantly, um, send out uh, inventory schedule trucks and things like that uh, to deliver against that so that you can get that cash flow moving. That is a lot of time that an entrepreneur, um, a solo entrepreneur will spend is processing orders and making sure that they get paid on the orders that are get that are delivered. That's where you want to put um, really your your first hire uh, within operations is to handle the day-to-day um, lifting because that's a lot of hours out of an entrepreneur's um, uh, day that can be spent doing that. Um, when we look at uh, you know growing that, you want to grow that to someone who can work with the contract manufacturer or you're, if you're doing internal manufacturing, this would be someone who can work with your uh, plant manager or, or something along or production supervisor, whoever you've got uh, to make sure that the inventory levels stay at the level that they need to so that sales can actually sell something. Um, So you're kind of working backwards from uh, maintaining an inventory and working backwards into uh, being able to optimize and and better run your production system that feeds into that inventory that sales is trying to sell. Um, That then will roll all the way backwards to, um, you know, a third hire being more of a procurement manager uh, to uh, be able to source the ingredients uh, and the packaging in such a way that you're not maintaining large stocks of them. You're also not running out. Nothing's aging out, meaning, you know, you reach the end of your shelf life for a particular ingredient, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down to negotiating contracts for fixed supplies of a certain ingredient and uh, therefore reducing pricing on your input costs. Um, Those are really kind of the first three that you want to hit when you're talking about hiring into an operations group. There's obviously tons more skill sets that need to be hired in, but those are going to be the ones that remove the most amount of excess um, movement from what is effectively your visionary leader in this case uh, with your uh, you know, as your solo entrepreneur. Right. Yeah. And I, I really like the point that you brought up about differentiating between getting your operations set up and then running them, because I think 
I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs in this place where they're like, I'm making my first operations hire. And, you know, I think I need someone with like 10 years of CPG experience. And then I have the budget for an intern. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, those are really hard things to, to, to marry up because yeah, when you're getting set up, you want someone who has the experience of, yeah, use this system or, you know, these are the the right 3PL partners that I like to work with. You know, there's a lot of time saving there, but you don't necessarily need an expert to continue to run the operations from a, you know, you may not be able to afford that person for a long amount of time. And the interesting part about that is, is if you have uh, engaged the right individual to help you set up your operations, you likely can stay as a solo entrepreneur running those well-optimized systems for a little while longer before you have to hire somebody. So while yes, it's a bit of an upfront cost, it means that you can avoid an ongoing recurring headcount cost for a little while longer, um, especially as you're getting uh, additional sales and movement. Um, so that that can be a strategy uh, going into this to keep yourself mm -hmm. uh, solely reliant for a little while longer. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I think about uh, the how I built this, the Kodiak Cakes episode where the founder of Kodiak Cakes, he, he ended up, it ended up working out for them, but you know, he hired a fresh grad out of college who ended up becoming a co-founder and figuring it all out. And sure, they were able to figure it out over time, but splitting this, you know, getting set up. And then, like you said, being able to stay a, a solopreneur or keep your team small for a little while can also really help because sometimes it's just setting up the the systems and getting things, you know, ready. And I'm curious what your perspective is on some of those. How do you find someone to maybe help advise you on what to set up and what kind of questions, if you're going to go the route of splitting the setup, you know, what kind of questions do you ask a firm or do you look for in finding someone to help you get that started? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I want to first caveat and say that Catapult does this. So I'm going to try to avoid the Catapult centric answer in this case. What you want to do is, is ask somebody not have they worked in operations for 10 years, but have them explain to you what systems they've set up within operations to resolve some sort of problem. Um, this can be a procedural uh, system. This can be a, an accounting system. This can be an inventory management software, something along those lines. But you need to evaluate how they handled the deployment and how they understand that once you make something go live, that it's not necessarily going to work the way it was designed day one. They're still training. They're still um, monitoring and ongoing support. So you want to make sure that it's not um, a group that is unaware of what uh, deploying systems within operations means. It means that you um, never have an outage. You can't go down. You can't be offline for a month with no inventory or something like that um, while you're trying to bring the new systems online. You have to dovetail them together. They have to be operational at the same time while you're doing the migration. This is very different than a um, straight up technology software solution. This is something where if you take it offline, it will necessarily short orders and you will start losing uh, customer accounts. Those uh, accounts that took you nine months to land will disappear in a month. So those are the types of things you need to watch out for. And the right people will understand that. The right people will say that without even prompting. They're going to say, you know, we've got to keep um, the shipments going. 
So this is how we are going to think about, uh, you know, deploying these systems. That's the most important thing. Right. And and on the system side, I'm curious about your perspective, too. When I asked the community about this upcoming episode, that was one of the questions was around software and around, you know, sometimes you necessarily don't have the budget for NetSuite kind of thing, but you're trying to get set up or sometimes, you know, system can mean a set of uh, Google Sheets kind of thing. And how do you how do you recommend people kind of navigate that, especially as in their, you know, they're maybe hiring their first their first person or they are that first hire and you're like, okay, we got to systemize some of these things. When do you start buying software? When do you kind of make things work on your own? Because I've definitely seen the air side of just, you know, internal created systems. Oh, this cell didn't get copied correctly and all the forecasting was off. So we didn't order enough of this ingredient and all, you know, it was just a simple mistake, but pretty, you yep. know, now we're going to be out of inventory for two weeks. And if, if it would have, wouldn't have been an Excel, maybe a system would have caught it. Maybe it wouldn't. Is it worth the cost? You know, those kind of trade-offs. I'm curious about your perspective. I have two hats here. I have some the hat where I am the consultant and I'll tell you what the answer should be, but I've also worked um, at a startup in my past uh, on operations, and I know how it is. And the real answer is you hold it together with duct tape for as long as you possibly can, um, which is automatically almost three months too late. Uh, and you, then you very quickly deploy a better solution. As a solo entrepreneur myself, I know that whatever system you put in place today, you will outgrow in somewhere between six and 24 months. So you're constantly having to put out fires and these fires can be rather large. I would say if operations is not, uh, you know, if or if inventory management is not your biggest problem today, stick with Google Sheets. Just know that it is not the right solution. It will not get you to a million dollars if you are still um, you know, Google Sheetsing it all the way through to $5 million uh, uh, annual sales. Let me know because I'd love to hear that that's, that that's possible. But <laughs> those systems break and they break simply because they're not meant to scale that far in the same mm -hmm. way that if you are making a food on a bench on, on, on a, in your kitchen, you're not going to be able to make, you know, 10,000 meals in your kitchen every day, seven days a week. 365 days a year. It's just not, it's not made for that, right? That's why we have industrial systems. That's why we scale into processing equipment. The same is true of um, software solutions within the operational realm. So to that effect, I would say, stay on your, stay in your kitchen, stay on your benchtop, stay, um, you know, with Google Sheets for as long as you can stomach it, because you're going to be putting out fires elsewhere. Your brand is not going to need to be rebuilt or, you know, your packaging is failing and you need a new supplier, you're going to be chasing every which way. Uh, the advantage is that when you get a new system within operations and you have the right solution that helps you tackle the next six to 24 months, you don't have to think about it anymore. Um, and if engaging that system takes a lot of time, uh, meaning it starts out at like one second per transaction, that's not that big a deal. But when you have 10,000 transactions in a day because you're incredibly successful, that's now taking a lot of time out of your day. Um, so it's one of those things where you want to necessarily scale the solution based on the problem that you have, uh, which is also why when people ask me, what's the right software solution for inventory management um, as I am taking my product to market, I got to give you choices because the, the answer is going to be different depending on who you are and what type of skill sets you are bringing to the table as the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, 
So it's, it's, it's not a customized solution. It's a solution that depends on the inputs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit too about kind of the, I don't know if the types of people is the right word or the, the types of skills, but you know, what, what kind of people do you see be successful in operations or as a founder is, you know, scaling and deciding, okay, I have a little money to hire someone. Do I hire someone for marketing or operations? I'm not really sure what I like to do yet. You know, what kind of person and tasks and things should someone who's going to be more ops focused, should they like and gravitate to? And then also, if you're hiring or interviewing people, you know, what kind of people are you looking for that are going to be able to figure this out? And, you know, like we talked about, sure, there are people that are going to have maybe some specific experience, but a lot of ops is figuring out how to solve problems and creating systems. So how do you kind of filter for those type of people or evaluating your own, you know, what you like to do, deciding whether to hire outsource that piece? I've got the strangest possible answer I can think of for what does the right operations person or operations minded person um, do? What do they have? What are their skills? The, the weirdest solution here, the best person I've ever found in operations I found him because he was the dungeon master for my D&D game. No joke. <laughs> um, and, I, and I hired him probably within about two months of joining his game um, because of the number of things that he had to keep going in his head, the number of motivations mm -hmm. that he simultaneously had to be able to evaluate and determine all of the moving parts all the numbers were just, uh, you know, they were they had to be right, but they were also not the most important thing. It was about processing all that information simultaneously. That type of person is invaluable as an operations person, especially once you have shown them the value that they're adding to the organization. One of the things that really great operations people seem to have in common is that they downplay the value the, uh, uh, to the organization because they think what they're doing is common sense. And on some level, sure, you could say it's common sense. It's following up on every single thing that comes into their inbox. It's following up um, and making sure that every single thing is in place prior to running. It's a simple checklist, sort of, but those type of people generate their own checklist to make sure that everything's in place. And as you train those people, or at least get them indoctrinated into your um, into your your organization's ethos, they will understand and be able to predict how how um, they're going to need to interact with all of the uh, parties in order to effectively change things over time. So even though you're going, especially your first hire into operations, needs to simultaneously be able to run a thousand things at the same time but also evaluate where they are falling short of, um, of, of you know, what, what is an ideal state and are able to at least initiate that change and make sure that it's not going to affect their day-to-day -day, um, responsibilities, meaning making sure that orders get filled. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the interesting thing about that um, and where I found a skill set that, that was laying dormant um, and, and was able to leverage that. Uh, from within the industry, there's a lot of uh, operations folks. You really, I would say in your early hire days, um, you really want to avoid folks from larger organizations. Uh, they're very, very siloed in what they do uh, as, you, as you look at um, uh, what their value is to your organization. They're used to running things. They're not used to necessarily uh, upgrading entire systems at the same time. Um, and so that's where I think looking for 
functional operations folks who understand A to Z uh, will, will really, you'll find that more within the startup sector than you will from, from larger organizations, because I, I'll give you an example. Um, there's a large company in, in California that uh, called us up. Long story short, we're doing a uh, development exercise for them to do a test market in a certain area. And their, their transportation group, multiple people called us up and said, hey, um, we're told that we need to deliver this to 75 stores. They aren't served by UNFI or Kihi. We actually don't know how to do that. We, we don't have any way to ship out just a handful of cases to these small stores. Can you help us? And I looked at him and was like, you're a $5 billion company or whatever. How do you not know how to ship things to 75 stores? And they're like, we don't know. Um, so we were able to kind of fill into that need, but it was just a uh, an interesting positioning because these people that have 20 years of experience literally were calling the, the product developer group and saying, mm -hmm. hey, can you help us with this? It's just an interesting juxtaposition. So that's a, that's a watch out for as you're looking at um, operations folks. Don't lot rely on lots of years of experience from a large organization um, because their solutions, their sizing and their scoping of things may not be right sized for your organization today. You'll grow mm -hmm. into it for sure, but not not today. Right. Yeah. I love <laughs> I love that a, a dungeon master uh, that find as a as a fellow nerd. That's awesome. And yeah, they have so much to keep track of. And one of the best ops hires that I ever made was a per they had no specific background on their resume. But when they came into the interview, like the way that they took notes, the way that they circled back to topics and like the way that I could kind of see their brain working. I'm like, they're following, like they're tracking everything. They're following up on everything. They're closing every loop. They're answering every question. Like this person, I think can, can dig into all these details. And sure enough, they did. And it was like, I think, you know, they, they, that, that just wasn't their background, but it, they were able to figure it out and they really excelled at it. And so, yeah, sometimes, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to look for the fortune 500, 15 years of operations experience. You, you need somebody that can figure all these things out and make all the connections and, and think through all the impacts of when I do this, what are all the effects on, on everyone else as well? That's right. They see the world as um, mechanistic with inputs and outputs, uh, cause and effect. There's a lot of um, just basically how they're wired together that makes them very effective. Um, and so, yeah, have a lot of respect. I like to think that I'm decent at it, but I am not the best person in the world for operations, day-to-day uh, uh, -day management myself at all. Um, so I, I, I think my, uh, my, my current D&D uh, &D campaign is suffering from my, uh, my lack of DM skills at the moment, <laughs> but it's what it is, right? <laughs> We'll have to have a, a startup CPG meets D&D &D combo episode at some point somehow <laughs> where we teach CPG through D&D. &D. <laughs> that would be interesting. I've got a one shot that would be interesting to try out. But OK, um, enough, <laughs> enough nerding out. I'm sorry for everyone who, who does not play D&D &D on this podcast. You're missing out. <laughs> they are missing out for sure. I'm also curious about your perspective on, say, your someone's in in the founder role you've you've hired your your first ops person or maybe you're working with a with a firm that's helping get things set up but anyway part you know part of your operations is is someone that's not you it's not in your brain do you have any any tips on how as a founder you can keep tabs on what's 
happening happening in your business of either whether it's soft you know, cheap or free software tools to help stay organized or ways to set up so that you as the founder can still feel like you know what's going on and you understand, but you've also been able to let go of enough of it to be able to do your other day-to-day work and not be in in the weeds of the, the order details or setting up shipments or all those things. But how do you keep tabs and feel like you still still know what's going on and have have insight into it? Oh my gosh. Operations people love this stuff. Um, so this is uh, an entire category of things called dashboarding, um, where you look at key performance indicators or KPIs. Ops people love their KPIs. They want everything to be a little KPI so that they can have this, this screen open on their, on their computer. And at any given time, if something dips down into the red, they know they have to respond. This is how they monitor um, large volumes of things. And this is how they should be communicating to you. Building dashboards takes a while um, to know what's important uh, to your business and how to make it look um, in such a way that you can, you have the information and knowledge to respond, but also you're not, you know, looking at, uh, uh, you know, the wrong information or anything like that. So uh, yeah, this is a, this is a dashboarding. Uh, You can do it as a, a program. I've seen it done in Excel. I've actually seen for you know, really small brands in some cases, they do it on a whiteboard. Um, I don't know why they do it on a whiteboard. They just did. Uh, but, you know, it's 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 built into most uh, operations management software. It's in inventory management software. It's in MRPs. Um, I hope nobody at this stage is looking at an ERP that's overkill for everything you want to do. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where uh, this is something that the operations side should be bringing to you. Even if you're working with a third party operations management group, but yeah, the operations, uh, management groups that are out there, and there's a, there's a handful that once you have things set up, they'll run it for you. They should be providing you with, uh, usually daily or weekly, uh, dashboarding updates, uh, to your inbox along with ideally a, a dashboard, a dashboarding um, uh, view where you can say, I wonder what it's, you know, you're sitting down to lunch and you're saying, I wonder how my operation system's doing. And you can just pull it up and have a look. Um, so these are all manner of things from uh, uptime to uh, you can even do some level of cogs, especially as you're getting going and, and rates aren't necessarily locked in. You can look at where your inventory is sitting, uh, look at all the inventory levels, whether or not they're staying above where you've set the uh, or where they've set the the, the thresholds um, for where things are good and where things are starting to fall outside of good uh, and so so on and so forth. So um, that is a longer answer um, where you know these these um, uh, these operations management groups or even your internal operations team should provide you as a founder uh, with. A viewport into how operations is doing, and they and, and it may take a while to build, but otherwise you should be able to to get that from them. Um, groups like Catapult and others uh, will help build those systems, uh, but you know a lot of those groups that build them are not the operations management group that then run the operations for you. So there's kind of that that dichotomy yet again. Right, right. I'm also wondering if you have some examples or common pitfalls of you know 
traps that maybe you've seen brands fall into early on of either hiring the wrong person or not focusing on the right thing in, in the beginning and then it turning into, oh, shoot, this could have been avoided by, you know, p- planning up front better operationally? Yeah, I think I think there's a few things that go into this. And some of this, as as a fellow entrepreneur, I, I also have lived through this. When you are starting off, everything is your responsibility, which sounds terrifying and great at the same time. And as you grow, there has to necessarily be more of you. More importantly, more frequently, it is that more and more of your day is taken up with running this business until eventually it exceeds 24 hours. Um, Hopefully, before you get to that point, you brought somebody on to take one of those hats off and hand to, or a handful of those hats and hand those off. Operations is a handful of hats. so. It is, it is certainly one of the first hires that most people will make will be someone into operations because most entrepreneurs, almost by definition, are not operations folks, which is fine. Um, not everyone needs to be an operations person because if they were that, uh, if everyone was that cool and calculating, we may not have nearly as many entrepreneurs. So you need to preserve that passion, be able to kindle it and not burn yourself out running operations. And the best way to do that is to look at your day and figure out what you're spending time on uh, every day uh, and figure out whether or not someone else with different experiences and expertise and and viewpoint view parts about the world um, whether or not they can do that and so then you bring them on and you you know get them up to the way that you want them to run because again they're going to see things differently so they're going to want to run differently but help them understand what you've been doing to that point so that they can understand where the value is, reinforce that, but change the things that don't necessarily make sense as you grow and scale. As you bring those people on one after another and take more and more hats off, that's where you really get to the point where you are actually to that that entrepreneur level that we all think entrepreneurs are, um, honestly, uh, where you've got enough of enough people running the business around you that you are looking at how to build the business over the next 6, 12, 24 months um, and where you want to go next and why and everything kind of clicks and runs together and people are talking to each other, not just through you. Um, That's about organizational behavior and organizational development. There's a lot of different disciplines that go into this. um, And I I know it. I've felt it. I've been in the midst of a hub and spoke relationship where everyone reported to me, even if it had nothing to do with me. Um, and there's a way to build that organization into a web. You can morph that. Um, you can morph that web into functional departments and, and things like that. All of that's possible, but it does take time and it takes energy and it takes effort. And if you're focused on trying to fulfill orders, you're not focused on building your organization and building your team to work in such a way that you can get to that end state. And I can speak from from experience, right? That's been my last four years in getting Catapult up and running. That is literally what I've been doing. So just if that's helpful for anyone listening, there is a way to do this. It does get better. It just takes time um, and insights and reflection on on your part. So um, as much as I can, you know, help people have hope here, uh, that is that is what the future holds. So um, yeah, I think that's that's not that's a summary of a lot of different pitfalls and best practices and everything all in one. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I love it. That's great. And I also do, I know you've been very careful not to um, to have your answers be too catapult-centric. And just like in our Slack, you're always very careful to be uh, be very value-focused versus selling-focused. But I do want to give you, you know, I would like, uh, I'm sure people are curious to learn a little bit more about Catapult. So I want to give you a minute to just Tell us a little bit more about Catapult and the services and, and you know, the types of, you know, brands that and stages that you work with. Absolutely. So when it comes to uh, the types of brands, because I'm going to start there, um, you know me, I'm always about where does the value uh, get added? How do we help people commercialize? So, um, you know, brands, we are working with folks that um, I usually force them to incorporate first, um, meaning they have no product. They have um, probably very little uh, brand understanding, but they've got a passion and a drive and a concept. Um, that's usually where we will first get involved. Uh, the majority of our work is in the technical and operational sector. That means that we have um, people who can look at um, you know category analyses and help put together a product brief. We've got uh, 30 product developers. We've got engineers. We've got packaging folks, QA, regulatory. Uh, we uh, work at all stages with contract manufacturers through um, negotiations, uh, through startup, through ongoing um, uh, process improvement. Uh, you know, you get into a contract manufacturer and the COGS is not where you like it. Um, there's usually some process improvements or some ingredient or packaging improvements that can be made to bring those COGS numbers down. That's a common practice in the food industry. Um, so don't don't be distraught by your initial um Cogs and things like that. Um, we also help on the back end with uh, scheduling trucks, finding warehouses, usually in the efforts of uh, being able to hand off ongoing uh, production uh, management to someone else. Um, that said, we also, uh, if you're going to produce yourself, we've got a couple of capital engineers uh, that help out with sourcing equipment. We've built a couple of plants, not many. Uh, there's, there's groups that are better suited for that. But at the end of the day, the whole reason I started Catapult, and I started as a solo consultancy, um, and, and it was a solo consultancy for almost the entire first year. And, you know, out of the other four years, two of those were COVID. So, you know, um, but the whole reason I started uh, Catapult was to help people understand where the best practices are and when the right time to deploy them is in this pursuit of launching food and beverage products. So I say that I, I know we're total CPG here. Um, we don't do a lot in um, uh, personal care. We don't do a lot in in supplement. We're almost exclusively food and beverage um, because that's where our heart lies. That's where our passion is. And that's where our expertise is. So that is what we are uh, trying to do. We are a group of folks that are, um, you know, anywhere from 20 to 45 years experience, I believe, um, in, in our respective um, fields and, and professions. But at the end of the day, we got into this industry and we started doing what we did uh, in order to launch products. That's where our focus remains. And it doesn't always lead to catapults, you know, uh, being the right solution. But we're always going to make sure that the product is, is preserved and made the best way that it can uh, to the benefit of consumers. Because without that, we're never going to change the food industry and we're never going to get to um, you know, 9 billion people fed. If we don't do this now, if we don't literally make these changes now, um, we're not going to get there and we're going to fall short and we're going to have people starving. Um, and that's not a future I can live with. So, um, that's why we got started. That's where we're going and that's how we're helping the industry get better. Yeah, that's, that's great. And if, if people want to connect with you, they 
can find you in the Slack? How else? What What else is the best way to to reach out to you? Oh my goodness. Um. So yeah, Slack is probably best way. Just send me a, a direct message. Honestly, it's the simplest and easiest. Um. From there, um, my email address is Jamie at catapultserve.com. Um. Which I'm sure we'll spell out somewhere. Um. My phone number I think is on the website. Uh. You know, I'm not hard to reach. I'm the only Jamie Valenti Jordan in the world. So even if you just put that into Google, you'll find me. Um, same thing with LinkedIn. Um, I'm always happy to connect. I'm always happy to chat. Um, I'm not a consultant that's going to charge you just to chat. Um, if you want me to go build a spreadsheet for you, then we've got another discussion. But, you know, I've had folks that, you know, chatted for four hours before we ever got into a paid relationship because they just needed some quick answers. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Um, and that's why I think the Slack uh, community that we've built here at Startup CPG is amazing because you can get those quick answers and get back to building your brand and building your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's great. This has been so helpful, Jamie. Really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your experiences. And I think this will be really great for our community. And then, you know, maybe we'll have to put up a poll for a startup C- CPG D&D one shot for our, our nerd listeners uh, in case they're out there. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're going to come out of the woodworks. I love it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we'll definitely all see you in the Slack. And uh, yeah, just appreciate you joining the show today. This was excellent. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thanks for joining us. This Startup CPG podcast is executive produced by me, Jesse Freitag. Theme music is by the Super Fantastics. We'd love to have you join our community of founders and experts. Get the invite at startupcpg.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. It's the easiest way to help us grow our community. See you next time.